0: It's interesting to me that our passage from Matthew, render unto Caesar, render unto the emperor the things that are the emperors, and to God the things that are God's. It's interesting this falls during our annual appeal, the month of our annual appeal. More about that later. I remember the first time, or an early time anyway, that I preached on this particular passage. I remember it because I was preaching at Ely Cathedral, beautiful uh, medieval cathedral. I've got a picture of it here. You see it as you come drive across the fens rising up, sometimes out of the mist, because it was once once on an island and a famous medieval lantern in the middle of the of the cathedral. It's really a, a beautiful and wonderful thing. Um, on that occasion I threatened, and my late father never forgot and reminded me almost every time I came home that I had threatened to begin the sermon by saying Caesar, a man best known for his salad, and, and you'll be pleased to hear that I did not um, carry out that threat at all. What I do remember on that occasion was talking about the practice of generosity and how over the years it's come it led me to believe that this is a core practice of spiritual community, an antidote to anxiety, and one more way in which we can give ourselves to others in love. It's, however, a bit of a false leap to say that when Jesus says give to Caesar and give to Give to God. It's a bit of a false leap to say, well, then pay your taxes to the emperor and give to God 10% of your money because that's what God requires, that's what belongs to God. I'm going to come back to encouraging a generous response to our appeal, but on the basis of a rather different reading of today's scripture. One problem we confront, of course, is that it's not always that easy to separate out what belongs to Caesar, to the emperor, and what belongs to God. God and mammon are really quite different, uh, but under one Roman system, under the system of Roman rule, they often get intertwined, and so it is uh, for us today. Such is often the case. I've recently been um, haunted, in a way, by some images and poetry in a book That i don't think you need to rush out and buy although it certainly wouldn't do you any harm it's focused on questions around race in theological education although it touches on themes much more broad than that it's called after whiteness by uh, a yale professor called willie james jennings and um, you can check dr jennings out on youtube he's got a number of talks there but at one point he examines a print showing a plantation family in south carolina at worship in a small chapel, with an elderly African American preacher and some rather uh, uh, sort of beaten down looking slaves, and the 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 description of the picture talks about how happy everyone is. And Doctor Jennings says, "No, I don't. I don't think that's quite right. They don't. They don't look particularly happy." But he talks about how there are two things going on, and one is moral formation, sort of teaching about how to live and the other is a a drumbeat of a story of emancipation being told in in all kinds of ways often through through signifying uh, as we know happened in such such places signifying by giving a message in a way that wouldn't give offense to the owners but which clearly uh, gave a different message to the to the people listening so uh, the risk of of not being subtle or missing the subtlety of the thing. Uh, It's essentially what's going on is both moral formation and a drumbeat for emancipation at the same time. And they have to be somehow sorted out. Listen to this. Both education as master formation and education as emancipatory weapon cultivate aim at cultivating mastery. The freedom of mastery is moral formation and the mastery of freedom is emancipation. Uh, But they're both about mastery. Dr. Jennings says they both silence the sound of a door opening to a life together toward a formation in communion. In other words, buying into the overriding system closes down the possibility of real communion for all people. It's not easy to separate everything out, but no new possibilities can emerge without... uh, this without the gov- without challenging the governing system in this case the plantation system the governing system itself needs to be challenged dr jennings is critiquing how many theological education institutions today find it difficult to transcend what he calls the plantation to move to new possibilities where true communion can become really possible in our own context this is why it's so important that we keep with the work of learning how to be two parishes worshipping in one language it's not a bunch of Anglos graciously welcoming uh, an Hispanic minority number one we're not basically a completely Anglo church to start with and number two it's the church is not one group welcoming another it's it's the whole being together is what we're after and and so we hope changing the overriding narrative and opening some really new possibilities for all of us and so back to our scripture just as with dr jennings critique of seminaries so something similar is going on in jesus apparently nomic observation about roman coinage but it turns out he's not not offering a kind of either or or even a both and a win-win all under the aegis of accepting roman rule he's actually challenging the system and opening a new possibility in the words of dr jennings that the door opening to a life together to a order of formation in communion and here's how jesus does it the pharisees are doing a plain gotcha we all know what that's like i know you're so marvelous jesus you care about everyone you show deference to no one so um is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not gotcha but jesus knows what they're up to he says you hypocrites he asks for a coin as you know used for tax and he looks at it and says whose head and image is on this coin and they of course say the emperor's he says give therefore to the emperor what is the emperor's and give to god that which is god's it sounds so wise and reasonable it also sounds as though religion and politics can coexist under the roman system it's not revolutionary jesus sounds almost tame as though he's running a school for emancipation but without really challenging the system but it's not quite that straightforward because when jesus says whose head is on the coin the word is really more like image whose image is on the coin and any faithful jew and possibly any faithful christian would immediately hear the association with genesis and what do we learn in genesis we learn that all of humanity is made to bear the image of God. We are all made in God's image. And so what's going on is a full-throated challenge to Roman sovereignty while appearing to be very reasonable. Caesar is sovereign over some coins, but Yahweh is sovereign over everyone who bears the image of God in creation. Isaiah makes the same point. We heard his wonderful prophecy from chapter 45 when he proclaims to a people exiled in babylon that the alien king cyrus is the lord's anointed one and you may not catch this immediately but the lord's anointed one anointed one becomes christ in greek messiah in hebrew messiah means the anointed one he calls cyrus a messiah wow wow you can be sure that this would have stunned many of those hearing this for the first time. But the point is that Yahweh is sovereign over the whole world, including foreign kings. I am the Lord and there is no other. Jesus is reminding the Pharisees that in the end, it is Yahweh who is sovereign over all our lives. But he's doing it in a way that won't give offence to Romans. No wonder the Pharisees were amazed and they left him and went away. So Jesus challenges the system. Today, that might mean challenging what is sometimes called the system of white male hegemony or many other uh, images. Dr. Jennings uses that of a plantation and you do it in order to allow community, true community as a whole, to emerge. True emancipation along with moral being shaped to live moral, full, free, full-throated lives uh, as we respond to the gospel. Giving to the emperor, what is the emperor's, means giving a few coins or paying taxes. But giving to God, what is God's, means giving ourselves. Giving ourselves in love to others, giving ourselves in costly self-offering after the model and pattern of Jesus, and finding that in giving, it is in fact we who receive. And so we return to the practice of financial generosity. It's a way in which we remind ourselves in a sustained and sustaining way of God's absolute sovereignty over our lives, the source of all that we are and all that we have. And when we really know that, then we have no need to be anxious. When you hear from our annual appeal leaders, I beg your generous response. You've been so generous in the past, and I pray you will be in the future. If you've never made a commitment that is sustained and sustaining if you've never made a pledge you've never made an estimate of what you're going to be able to give you're not locked in it's not a it's not a bill but it's a way of uh, it's a spiritual practice that will help you uh, know the fullness of the gospel this i can promise you i beg your generous response so that in the words of the prophet Isaiah. the word of Yahweh actually spoken through the prophet Isaiah. You may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I pray that you will know the words of Yahweh in your life spoken through the prophet. I form light and darkness. I make, weal and create woe. It is I, the Lord, who do all these things. The Lord of heaven and earth, the ruler of the universe, Lord of our lives, all of us, made in God's image, bearing God's image. I offer this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.